Welcome to Art Talk with April. I'm April Harris of Inked April and the host of this podcast. This is season four. We have some amazing artists on. I can't wait to share them with you. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Art Talk with April. Today we have Heather Bombach, who is a textile artist. Thank you for coming on, Heather. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. I am too. And, you know, you were an artist at Naked Art Gallery, and I was too, and we were supposed to have a show together, and and I think that's how we connected at first. Yes. I I mean, that was so, it feels so long ago. We're so little then. Yes. I was like where you are now. Oh, Yeah. And, yeah. and so I've, I'm just really excited to talk to you because it's, I've been following you since then yeah. and I'm just kind of very curious about the type of work that you make and, you know, your thinking behind it and, you know, what you're trying to say with your work is so different than what I do. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm probably going to have a lot of crazy questions for you, but we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So how did you get started, like as an artist or being creative? Was it, you know, something that you were interested in as a child or? At all. In fact, I, I don't ever, like, I think now I go back and remember moments from my childhood that involve creativity, but it was like, it's not that idea of I like to draw or I like to paint or I like to like, I loved coloring books. Like I remember I had a Greek gods and goddess coloring book and like coloring all the togas. I love doing that, but it, my household, my mom's a nurse or was a nurse when she was working. And my dad's a guidance counselor. And we, I had two brothers and we played sports. I mean, that was like our, that's where our went. And so while I had access, nobody in my family that lived in my household was an artist. And so I just didn't really have an image of what that could look like. And so I kind of came around it like sort of through the back door because I started doing theater in high school Mm -hmm. and then theater, when I got to college, I took a, you know, a design, it was like a theatrical production design class, you know, it was like a, a catch all. And part of it was costume design. And we had to sketch into our notebooks, the silhouettes from the board, like back in the day before, you know, and I just started doing it. And I was like, I sort of have a knack for this. And it was so interesting to me. And so then I kind of think back through and I'm like, well, where did it come from? I was like, not a fashionista. I was like, not into fashion or clothes, or it was more theater and sort of telling the story. Like, I love the idea that a person can walk on stage and not have a line. And I can tell you so much about them based on their textiles, you know, the like encoding of it, like the messages you can send, like you instantly know if they're rich or poor or old or young, or like, there's so many ways to use fabric and tell story through the narrative through it. And I think that is where it comes from, not necessarily like, a huge love of painting or a huge love of it's more the idea of like, I can send this message in a way that everyone understands, but it has no language, no physical language to it. So that's sort of where I started. And then I was doing costume design. And of course, when you study that, I studied that in undergrad, I transferred to a school that was like fantastic. And we had all these amazing classes, 
And so then you have to take figure drawing and, you know, color and design and all those foundation classes, you just point them towards theatrical production. Yeah. So that whole time I was like, wow, I really love watercolor. I really love painting in acrylic. I really love, we also, at the same time, I was learning to like tailor and sew and flat pattern and drape. And so it was kind of like a sculptural practice before I realized it was. And then I'm like, how do I get to this faster? So basically then I did theater and lots of creative jobs. And I was, I had always kind of wanted to go back to school for my MFA in visual art. Cause I always sort of felt like I wasn't a real artist because I went to theater school instead of, I mean, that's the stupidest thing to say out loud. You're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you went to school and got a BFA and like had painting and drawing classes and design classes. So that counts, but I don't know. And so I went during COVID, I went and got my MFA and in visual art. And so I specifically studied textiles. And I remember my first semester, I had this great academic advisor and she said to me, I don't understand why you're working so hard to not let your practices collide. Like why you're doing this 2D art and then this 3D costuming, like what it's okay, like let it collide. And I think that was the first time I thought, oh. I'm a sculptor. And like, she laughed at me. She was like, yeah, of course you're a sculptor. You work in 3D. I'm like, like, wow. Oh, that's so fun. Then I started, of course, studying all the amazing sculptors from the 60s and 70s doing fiber sculpture. And I'm like, it's like a whole thing I didn't even know about. I've been like studying theatrical artists and designers and, you know, yeah. And basic art history, like everyone gets. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the whole thing. This is the whole yeah, thing. Oh so God. yeah. So that's kind of now where my brain has gone is mostly fiber sculpture. I still do some costume design and some 2D work, but right now, like the forming of the flat plane into something sculpture 3D based is like, that's my everything. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're doing. I think, I mean, it's just fascinating to me because that's not, my brain doesn't work that way really. And so I'm just so 2D and sometimes I wish that I were 3D, but I just, yeah. I don't know, like think in that, in that way. And I think a lot of people are that way. Like there are some people who just can naturally kind of think in that, I guess, in that spatial sense mm-hmm. but, um, gosh, that's so cool though, that Interesting, you were, right? yeah, yeah. You were like, oh, and see, that makes me think too about how you know just talking with other artists and you know like being in the environment of your MFA program and someone telling you like just pointing out to you that there was a Mm -hmm. connection there and you hadn't even thought of it you know it's so valuable (laughs) it is and I think I was like scratching at it because I was, when we first were in the same, in, when you're talking about naked art, yeah. when we had our things there, my work was very 2D. And I was like, we were talking about kids too. And I was doing things that were easy. Like acrylic is quick. You can set it up. It dries quickly. You don't have to worry about dry time or where do I store it? Or, you know, so I could have like a hairdryer, yeah. do a quick something and dry it and be done. And so I was just painting literally the things that were in front of me. Like my kids were little, I have three kids. They're pretty close in age. They're stair-stepped. And so I was like painting bikes and birds and popsicles and like all the things of our daily life. Like my husband would grill, I would paint the hamburger. Like it was literally just like thing after thing, like, Oh, there's a new bird at the bird feeder. Well, I haven't painted that one yet. 
And I think that was just like me being able to do something creative while I was raising them. And then as they got older and they didn't need me physically as much, I didn't have as much time that they needed me. They meet, like, I think as they got older, they sort of needed me more psychologically than physically. Like I wasn't tying shoes or making sandwiches anymore. You know, I was like having hard conversations about what is a good friend and how to be a good friend, you know? And I think I could do those things then. I could paint in acrylic quickly and still feel like I was creating. And then as they got older and older, I was like, well, how could I put fabric? So then I started doing some mixed media stuff. And I just like hadn't let go of the wall. And then even in grad school, when I applied to grad school, most of my pieces, even though they were fiber-based, were still flat on the wall. I was like, well, you have to hang it on the wall. It's like painting. Mm. And I was like, okay, I got to get away from using the wall and really explore more. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I love how you put that as far as like getting away from the wall. Yeah. That is, you know, I mean, that's your, your 2D surface and that's what you think of, Mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to being an artist, is it being something like that? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, my, I I myself probably cling to the, (laughs) I don't think about it. Like, yeah. I mean, it it, could possibly be different than that, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really, I think that's like a, in my head, that's like a connection that I had to make with like, okay, well, when I make costumes, I draw it, you know, you have a watercolor flat, pretty costume plate rendering, and then you have to take flat fabric and I flat pattern. I'm not a great draper. I can drape, but it's like not my, you know, it's not my go-to. If I can flat pattern it, I'm going to flat pattern it. Yeah. So then I have the flat fabric and the flat patterns, and then those become sculptural. They become three-dimensional, like holding a body in them or wrapping a body. And so I think, well, that that's what my, my day job, that was what I was already doing. I just needed to apply that to like the fine art side of my practice. So like you mentioned your day job, like what were yeah. you doing? So I've had a, I've had some fantastically fun jobs. I mean, honestly, like when I look back, so I stayed home with my kids and then when they hit like preschool age, I worked for a church and I did their contemporary arts teams. So it was like a drama team and a film team and the set people. And, and so I helped lead those teams. And then I did that for years. And then I worked for Arts Huntsville for a year. And then I got my studio, but I've also worked as like the display coordinator at Anthropology. So building their big windows and then all the while working for different theater companies. So I've decided I was like designing for UAH and for Fantasy Playhouse and like still doing shows. I've worked at Bob Jones with their theater department. So, you know, like kind of like this like side hustle life of like part-time jobs with design jobs with so it's been a lot. And then recently now I'm teaching, I teach right now at UAH, I'm teaching costume fundamentals in the theater department. And before that, I was like the theater costumer. So I was doing the designing and the teaching and running the shop over there. And then at the end of grad school, I stopped doing it for like a year so I could finish my thesis. But now I'm back over there teaching and next semester, I'll teach some three classes next semester. Wow. Hopefully they fill, you know, so. Uh-huh. I'll do a soft sculpture and costume design and then theater appreciation 
Wow. Yeah. So that's so fascinating to me because one of the things that I think a lot of creative people come across is like say someone is into you know doing the the costuming design kind of thing it's like okay now how do I apply this and make it into a career like who who hires for that and what do people look for and what do they need and you know and then how you have sort of molded it into this other creative practice in the meantime is, I mean, that is just so cool. Yeah. And I think it's like that side hustle kind of thing. I'm super fortunate that my partner has a great job that affords us health insurance and mm -hmm. all of those things. And so I have had the opportunity to kind of do, you know, gig work, you yeah. know, so contract-based work, you know, work that isn't the same company every day. It's just, I'm, I feel so lucky because I don't think that everyone has the ability to, mm. to, it just, it feels like I, I am so lucky to have my partner and great kids and support. And because I, I just think it's a hard, hard decision to go into the arts. Oh, absolutely. I think it is. I think it is. Mm. It's not easy. It's just not easy. You have to hustle. You have to work. You have to move it. You got to keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah. And you got to parlay that. I had another advisor who said everything. You got to parlay it into the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. Like, don't stop doing that. So how did you balance, like, I guess, being a mom and then having these different gig jobs and you know, then you're trying to do your own creative practice. Like, how did you balance all that? And, and even like in your, I don't want, I don't want to like, you know, anything too personal, but how did you, how did you have relationships that supported that? You know, like there, I imagine a lot of women artists or even artists in general that like, you know, struggle with getting support from the people around them to even do something creative and yeah. mom. And so there's these expectations, like you're supposed to be doing, you know, ABC or whatever to be a good mom or to be, I don't know, like what society says you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it was my husband's job is a nine to five Monday through Friday yeah. theater. is not a Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of job. You know, a lot of rehearsals, especially if you're doing community theater, those rehearsals are at nights on weekends, you know, so I'm working nights and weekends. I was doing art festivals and that circuit, the white tent circuit, those were weekend things. So when I was gone on the weekends, they were home with dad doing all the fun dad things. And then I was there during the week. And I pretty much, I think, I mean, I'd love to hear what my kids' answers to this would be. Yeah, they that would be really cool. did. They came with me. They would go with me to shows. They would, I remember we we laugh about this still. Like before a show, you'd have a big show coming up, like Montesano or you know, Kintuck was just this past weekend. Paintings, but you have to do all the admin work. Like you gotta tag them and you gotta price them and you gotta make a list. And and so we would have like tagging night. And I would like everybody would have like a hammer and thumbtacks, and the kids would be cutting the tags with the paper cutter, and one would be oh. cutting the string that we tied it with, and then one would be writing up a list. And I mean, we literally would like put a movie on and I'll sit on the floor in the living room and it would be like, art tagging night. 
They've just helped me with everything from oh, when they were awful. I mean, I have like pictures of my son, like in trees at art festivals, like up behind my booth, like climbing trees and running around. And so they did a lot with me, you know, and I did a lot of work. I, I worked when they didn't need me. So when they were really little, I would get up super early. Like my brain would wake me up at four in the morning. And so I would get up yeah. and work for two hours, three hours before they were up. And then I go to sleep when they went to sleep at night. I mean, like seven 30 or eight, because I was exhausted, but then as they got older, I would go to the mill, like they would leave for school on the bus at seven 15 in the morning. And I would leave for the mill. And then I'd be home, you know, by the time they would get off the bus. So it was very much like fitting that. I still love like the weird dark 30 mornings though. That's like, you know, everybody has their like creative time and some people are night owls. And yeah. if I get up first thing in the morning and start creating like hands-on physical work, then I'm in good shape. If I do anything else, when I get up, if I open my computer, if I open a book, if I, you know, anything else and it's over, it's like, I missed that window and I'll have to end <laughs> tomorrow. And so I do love super dark, like four, if I wake up at four in the morning, it's almost like I have time, even though my kids are out now and they're not going to wake me and they don't need me to do anything. There's still this like magical thing about the whole world is asleep, but I have this carved out time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love that time. Yeah. I, I I need to take advantage of that time more. So nice. It's so nice because no one's talking to you. No one's interrupting you. You know, yeah. I would put a sign in, in the house we were in before this house, which is the house they all grew up in. Really. We had a two car garage in my studio before I was at the mill was in one of the car bays. Yeah. Like I just parked in the, the street and then turned that into my studio. And I used to put a sign on the door that was like, I'm out here. So if they got up and John wasn't, if he was <laughs> and they got, they could find me. And, and I, I love that you point out that you're kind of, you know, as a, as a mom and a wife, you had to like kind of adapt to how, you know, your fam, like where your family is and their, and their, I guess, schedules and things like that and I mean like were your kids like into sports or had activities and things like that and then your husband was like taking them to do that stuff while you were and yeah in town if it was a weekend I was out of town because there was like a there were a couple years there when I was really pushing it and I think I did like 28 festivals in a year. Oh. Like, I, I don't know where I had that is a lot, <laughs> a lot like setting up, you know, you drive to another city yeah. and you get in a hotel and you drive to a park and you set your whole world up outside in a park and hope it doesn't like blow away in a storm. And then you're there for three days and then you come back and it's Monday morning and <laughs> yes. it's off to school. And then <laughs> You know, you get out, rinse it off because it rained and it's soaking wet and you don't want it to get moldy. And like, oh my gosh, it was like crazy. It was crazy. I think back on it, like, how did you do that? Like, how did you just keep going? Oh my God, I don't know. I've done like maybe three festival shows. Yeah. And every time it was hard, but I did Mm -hmm. one yesterday. You did? (laughs) So I just came back late last night from 
one and it was freezing cold. I, yeah. I was not prepared for that. I was wearing flip-flops and a short sleeve shirt. Oh. It started raining and the wind mm-hmm. was like trying to blow over my tent, you know? I know it. I know it. And you get back and it's, yeah. Oh, I remember Mondays being the hardest, hardest day. Cause you're like, I got to unpack all that. And it's Mondays were brutal or fantastic hard. It's hard, but I think like, like we were talking about, I think that it takes a lot of creativity to raise kids. And that is its own special demand to be a caretaker, any kind of caretaker, whether you're taking care of your spouse or your elderly parents or children or neighbors, or it's such a hard thing to do and still continue to have the energy and the the peace and the calm and the, to create art. And I think that like, there's a lot of strategies around it, but I think everybody comes up with their own strategy, their own way to do it, their own kind of creativity. Like I was watching a talk. It was a a gallery talk. It was Helen Molesworth. And she was talking about some of these artists like Ruth Asawa, and she would make her sculptures, like her kids, some of the pictures you can find of her with these beautiful knitted wire sculptures. They were around her. She was laying on her bed, like knitting above her when her children were around her. Yeah. And then another one she talked about that Maria Mialino, when her kids were little, she was like sketching them at the park. It wasn't until after her kids were grown and gone that she started doing these beautiful, you know, heavy concrete sculptures. It was like, you know, you, you have to spend your time doing what's important to you in that time. Mm-hmm. You no. Know, and then when, when things change and there's life changes and there's, then there's going to be art changes too. You know, hmm. like you change studio space. Every time I change studio space, my art practice changes. I'm like, yeah, like every time, like one of my, so my daughter graduated. Anyway, she's a junior in college now. When she graduated and left, like that affected my practice so much. Like the idea of absence of having something you love so far away. And then when my second daughter left, she's in Auburn. And that idea of like, two of my children being in completely different parts of the country and one still at home, like that messed with my practice. So I think it's just normal for your practice to sort of evolve and change based on like how you're spending your time and where you're spending your time, or at least mine does. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else, but mine changes all the time. And I see it. I can look back to work I did eight years ago and my work is nothing like that now. Yeah. I like that. I like that it keeps evolving. I think it frustrates patrons because they're like, well, where are the birds and bikes? Or like, can I get one of those from the house series you did three years ago? That makes it more valuable too, though, because, you know, I was just recently talking with a friend about that and how like you find some art that a favorite artist made like earlier in their career. And you're like, Oh, they don't do this anymore. Like, this is cool. You know, it makes it so much more special. Those little pieces that are just so completely different than what you're doing currently, you know? So, I mean, maybe that, maybe patrons aren't too upset about it. If they can find a good one. They can find some. Yeah. If you have any in your closets or whatever, you need to put them out there. 
Yes. And I am right now. That's a great plug for me because I'm moving out of my public studio. I don't have the space to store a lot anymore. And so I'm pulling everything out. I have like some of my original animal fiber sculptures are up for sale that I never thought I'd sell. And I have some cows and some birds from like way long ago, like all in my studio right now that I'm selling between now and December. Cause I'm like, there's no reason to hang on to it. Like I've moved on and I would love for it to be in, in spaces where people will love it, you know? So it's like, just offload this stuff and keep moving forward. Keep making. Yeah. That's a real opportunity. I feel like. Yeah. And you, you've continued your career and you're, and you're growing and you're changing and adapting. So, you know, it's like, it's not as if like you just completely stopped and this is just art that you have laying around. You're Mm -hmm. still adapting. So for whatever reason that makes it super special, like it makes it like this beginning, you know, I hope so. (laughs) Like, I mean, you know, we were literally at the Bluff Park art show and we were talking about art and looking at people's, you know, like our favorite artists. I mean, you know, like I'm an artist, but I buy other people's art all the time. And, you know, you're familiar with what they made before and what they're doing now. And we really did as art collectors discuss that like we've had that conversation like oh I found such and such you know at this studio they don't do that anymore and it is it's like a magical moment it's like a magical moment for sure there was an artist do you know who Michael Banks is he does like yeah I just love his work I've loved his work forever and when I worked at Arts Huntsville there was a piece at a fundraiser that he had done that was like this rabbit in a hoodie. And I wanted it so bad and I could not get it. Like we were not in the place where I could like afford to collect art at the time. And I just remember loving it. And like a couple of years ago, I was at Kintuck taking the workshop and I went in the gift store and there was a rabbit. And I was like, yeah, I was like, is that for sale? And they were like, yeah, I'm like, it's mine. It's mine. <laughs> It's such a weird moment because it was like years later. I'm like, so yeah, it's a great moment when it happens. Yeah. And then if you have it in your home, every time you see it, you're like, yes. So everyone listening, you know, they need to check out what you got. Yes. Because it's going to be major, right? Like there, it's going to be so different. So different. I mean, really? Yeah. But it's interesting too, like the way that the design elements carry through. Like I've always loved color. I've always loved color. I think of color before I think of line. When I think of a character in a play, I'm like, this is their color. Like it's just something about it is just so part of my artistic DNA. And so I think like looking back at the colors I was using and like the bright cherry reds and the peaches and the aquas, I can trace that through it to now I'm like doing all my, most of the fiber I use, which I'm trying to branch out of this a little bit, but is natural and I dye it. And so that part of like immersing the wet fiber and like a colored vat and like really being able to get these amazing vibrant colors. I'm like, well, that's there, even though it's in two different forms, it's still something that has traveled with me my whole practice. Wow. So I think like you can see the, the thread that runs through the work. If you're looking at the elements, 
if you're looking at the subject or looking at like the medium, maybe not so much, but like the line of it, like the organicness of it, the, mm. the naturalness of it, like all of that's still there. It's just showing up in a different art language, I yeah. think. Oh, that's so, that, I love that a different art language. And so, you know, like getting into what you're doing now, like, you know, what is it? What what is your what are you trying to say? What is your voice right now with the work that you're making? I think that is a really hard question because I think there's like two answers to it. One, the first one that comes to my mind is like, well, it doesn't really matter what I'm thinking it is. Oh. Because the work is gonna like what the work is to me is is one thing. But then what it is to a viewer, like that second half of the conversation, it doesn't have to be the same. And so while I think it's like, definitely all of the work is about the body. All of the work is about cloth. It's about, and it's about the sort of birth through death process we all go through, like from young, squeaky, pink, you know, tight skin newborns to like old age where we're dark and wrinkled and pockmarked and scarred. Like all of my work kind of encompasses all of that. Like why do, you know, anything from like, like dress code laws to why do we cover parts of our skin and not parts of others? Why do we cover parts of our skin based on gender that on other gender does not matter if it's covered? Like all of these things are sort of all themes that encircle the work. And so frequently what I'll do is start with like a material that I like or that I want to work with some sort of material or a process I want to learn. And I'll just start doing it. And like, it sort of descend into sort of this handwork situation where I'm not really thinking necessarily about where it's going to end up as much as kind of pushing the material properties of what I'm doing. And so I definitely have things I'm thinking about as the piece gets closer to finished, but it's never just one thing. It's never like this is a this or, you know, I think it can post this about work doesn't mean anything, but it has many meanings. And I think that's important. I think like, I think that's why the work resonates because most of it is so deeply personal to me. And I've like leaned into that so far that when someone else sees it, they also see something deeply personal to them, maybe, or they have some sort of visceral reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, I think, you know, and when I've talked to other artists, that's been something that has come up with maybe, maybe more sculptural work Mm -hmm. and that it kind of develops, like it may not be like planned out Mm -hmm. in such a way that maybe a painting can be kind of planned out. You know, you may change colors or techniques or whatever, but you know, there may be an idea, like an end result that you're looking for. But for some reason, I feel like sculptural kinds of things, maybe, you know, like it's more of a process. I don't know. It is. It is like a process based. Like thing. a physical process too. Like actually doing very it. Repetitive. Like I think I do a thing and then I do that 90 more times. And then I have a bunch of pieces and I play with those like a Lego set and sort of take pictures of them in different shapes and different configurations and, you know, to see what they're doing, to like look at the work and let it tell me what it's doing. 
like I know what I thought it was going to do, but then at the end I'll have a bin. I mean, some of the pieces that I think about like unseen labor, that's just, that's just yards and yards and yards of twine that was dyed. And I have put it in rectangle bins and flipped them over like sand and molded them. And I've draped it over things. And I've, and just to see like, what is it going to become? What is it? That's process too. I think I do a lot of very repetitive kind of multiplicitous pieces because again, it's like that, that history of like knowing I can get something small done really quickly. And if I'm interrupted, I think it's just part of my thought process is like, well, I can carry this little bit of things around and sew this thing on all of them. Mm -hmm. So I can do that while I'm watching TV. I can do that while I'm waiting in a car line. I can do that, you know, and then put it down and not feel like, okay, I'll pick it up later. So I think a lot of my work has components like that because it's so like drilled into me that like I might have six hours to work, but I also might have 10 minutes, you know, like that's like part of like the being the caretaker. So I think that's, I I keep trying to like get away from that. And I just don't ever, I like, I started doing some like tapestry looming and I'm like, well, this is great too, because you can just like stop right in the middle of it and come back later. You don't have to worry about your paint drying or your plaster or you're right exactly where it was. I can leave a needle halfway through a piece of fabric. And when I come back, it's still right there waiting. Nothing has happened. Well, you don't have to like worry about like cleaning your brushes or putting right. on the paints and doing all right. that. And then you have to get it all back out. It's like right there and you can just right. start again. The only occupational hazard of it is that I have two terriers and one of them loves stuffed toys. Oh no. <laughs> she will get into like a bin of something. Last night she got into a bin of wool roving and it was red and it was everywhere. Oh. The animal had been destroyed and I found this huge ball of it. I'm like, no. Once in a while, they'll grab something and like shake it when I'm like loading <laughs> things into the garments. No. Yeah. That's so, awesome. It's like worrying about wet paint a little bit, you know, like hit it with a hairdryer real quick. So it's super dry in case like a bug crawls across it in the garage or something. <laughs> and now everything looks like either like part of a butcher shop or like a dog toy. Dog. I walked into my studio, like I was, you know, putting art mounting art onto wood panels and had put like some resin and was letting them dry and I saw I came into my studio yesterday morning and there were little fingerprints oh yes I was like okay now somebody came in here did a little thing I'm like over there sanding it and trying to redo it (laughs) yep yep so you do that's how you do it yeah well like another thing that I'm very curious about and this may be a kind of a silly question but you know you've got several shows going on like collaborative shows but you've you know how do you do you plan those out with the other artists and how your your work being so like sculptural and not necessarily being on a wall, how do you decide like how your art is going to be displayed in comparison to, you know, someone else's art and it may be their art is on the wall or. Yeah. Like what, what, what goes into that? <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> okay. So that's a great question. My Tracy Hayes, who lives up North um, in Vermont, she and I met in grad school. She was in her last semester when I started my first semester and we just struck up a conversation 
and became friends. And she was like my touchstone for another student that was going through the program. So when I had like questions about thesis things, or I would call her friends and we talked about how it was so interesting because I'm so drawn to her work. And it's like, we do the same thing. So she's like mark making in this sort of obsessive way. And I'm like creating these tiny fiber things in an obsessive way. And we were talking about how sort of like that feels so similar. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do something together one day? And so we just worked towards that. And then we had the opportunity to show at Gadsden, unfortunately, for whoever it was, I don't even know who it was. Someone wasn't able to do the show that they were going to do. I think they had got sick or something. So there was an opening and then we got a call like, Hey, you, could you fill it? I'm like, yes, Tracy, let's do this. And so we didn't know how it would work. So we built a model. I built a model of the rooms. And then I built, because I have a theater background, like I built scale models of our pieces. And then I played with them like a board, you know, like a, like a, it was like a game board. And so kind of printed this out. I have it right over there. (laughs) And we just like played with it until she shipped her things down here. She got here like I think three or four days and hers are scrolls. So in, in this great way, they roll and they can be a lot of it in a box, you know, so it's like a little bit more transportable than some other forms. And she got here and literally in this room, we were like rolling things out on the floor and like throwing pieces on top of each other and going, well, this is this big and which corner. And, and then we would change it in the, the model. And, wow. and we got there, we were like, okay, yes, this is going to work. We're like, we need something different here. It's not going to work the same way. But, and then with Liz, she and I had just wanted to work together because we're both backgrounds in design and she was in my cohort. So we went through the whole program together. She was like my ride or die girl. We had talked so many times about like, we need to do something together just because it would be just great fun. Cause her thought and her creative practice is so different than mine. Yeah. And so we're going to do this. So our pieces, we actually both had our hands on the pieces. So like it has like her graphic and her pop colors and her like very slick, sharp shapes and things that she does. And then we use like some of my fiber pieces in that. So she would paint on top. So those pieces are truly like both of our work in this one piece, whereas Tracy and I, ours is about the conversation our work has in the space and kind of the space between them and around them. And then with Liz and I, it's like that piece is both of us in a piece. So it's like a super interesting, interesting way to, yeah, to both have our hands on pieces at the same time. And she came here, she flew in from, she lives, she spends her time both in San Diego and Boston And so she came in, I think she flew in from Boston and she was here for like four days to wrap the pieces up. And I'd be like on the phone showing her a piece I was working on. And she's like, use hot pink. I'm like, okay. And I'd start stitching it with hot pink and she'd be like more. So that was a really, really kind of digital way to work on very physical pieces. So yeah. So it's like, it's like, I thought, I I think how it works for me is like, I meet someone and I'm like, I like this person. Let's do something together. Let's just come up with something. You know, even if it's just one piece, you know, that we work on together. When I first moved into the mill, David Jolly had his studio already. And there was a piece that's hanging down here that we both worked on. And I would work on it for a while and I would give it to him. And then he worked on it for a while and he'd give it back to me. And so I think theater is such a collaborative practice. I think that's just intrinsic to like 
I want to be, I think it helps kind of break up my thought process. I don't get too bogged down in any one thing. Yeah. Like learning how other people make their art and what their process is. I mean, Tracy and I, we laugh, Liz and I still laugh because we're so different as people. Yeah. Just so many great stories. It's just fun. It's fun to be around because sometimes my practice is very solitary and I am up at those like long, early morning hours. And so when I get the opportunity to work with someone, I'm always like, yeah, Yeah. like a coworker, you know? It sounds like such an adventure too, because, and and, I mean, it's a creative process in itself and just trying to get it pulled together Mm -hmm. in the end. And you're like, you know, having at this point, you're having to work with a person that's different than you and kind of make it happen in its own way, you know? Yes. Yes. They call it, um, in Twyla Tharp's book, she calls it the fire of collaboration. And I think that's very much what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you always have bumps along the road and there's people that you work with well and people you don't work with well. And, but I think it's so important. I think it's so important. I think it brings so much energy to my practice to be able to learn from other artists and have really great mentors. And, and, and honestly, I love being at, the university, I think it's so cool to like have so many smart young artists around, you know, and what they're doing, what they're listening to and how they're thinking about things like that's super invigorating too, to like, just constantly be like bumping up against like creative energy is awesome. (laughs) I love it. Love it. Yeah. I think, you know, and that for me personally, like I've, I've experienced that in high school and in college and then in my day jobs with like I'm a graphic designer if there's a team of graphic designers I mean it just that energy just happens when creatives are together you know in a space even if they're not working on the same things it's very energizing and you're just really into it at that point. (laughs) And that's my favorite thing about theater. Honestly, like when I think about different teams that I've worked with, it's like you have the one person who's working on the music and they're just so good at what they do. And you're not even worried about that. And then there's the person building the set. And then there's the person, you know, who's doing the costumes. And then there's the actors who are like working their butts off to become this other person And like you work with a great team and everyone's good at what they do and it comes together and you're like, well, this is exponentially better than any of us could have possibly done. Like it's best feeling. You're like, oh my gosh, I was like a piece of the pie of this thing that was so great. Yeah. I love theater. And I think bringing some of those collaborative practices into my visual art, I think it, it's like, I need to do it every once in a while. I don't need to too bogged down in like my way or the way I'm thinking about it I need to like mix it up a little bit breathe some air into it a little bit yeah well what what's some advice that you would give to somebody just starting out or trying to you know who are interested in doing your kind of work like with textiles and sculpture and that kind of thing yeah honestly I I think the biggest thing is like having, having a network of people that you like around you who also do what you do. Like, I think like 
I'm part of women, Alabama Women's Caucus for the Arts. I'm part of the Surface Design Association. Like I have my alumni cohort. I have my alumni that I'm still in touch with from undergrad. Like really like having people around to pull you up when you need it and being able to be the person that pulls other people up when they need it. I think like that feels more important than anything else to me is like the people. The important thing is the people. If you have someone, if you're just like having a hard time, if you're just having like this great creative moment and you just want to show someone, if you need a show and you have friends that are getting shows and they're willing to help you get your resume better or your, you know, CV better. Like, I just think like without the people in my life that I am fortunate enough to know, I don't think that I could do it as an island. I just, it would be rough. So it's like, find your group, find, find your people, find your tribe, because I think you can just get through just about anything. If there's somebody with you getting, yeah. So I think that's super important because I think the art comes and goes. And I think you have times when you're on fire and times when you're cold. And I think that's normal for anything. But if you still have those people around who still want to go see a show or go see a movie or see, you know, just sit outside and sketch or whatever it is that like, I'm not a sketcher, but like, whatever it is, that's your practice. Like, oh, let's go take a workshop on embroidery. Let's, you know, like if you have those people in your life, you can keep your practice going. I think it, 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 I keep saying like invigorates, but it really does. It feels like you have those people that also what you love. It's like, yeah, that's, that's really great advice. Cause you know, I imagine, especially like maybe coming out of college and I think a lot of creative people, you know, that I don't know, you know, I don't know that that's true, but it seems like a lot of creatives are introverted and they, and they may, you know, like start out kind of like on their own or, you know, like I've come across artists who didn't want to share their process because they felt like it was, you know, like special to them. They didn't want anyone to take it. Things like that keep artists from networking and getting out there and becoming part of a group and things like that. And if I think not until you've actually tried it and experienced it, do you realize, oh, holy crap, this helps so much. <laughs> You're like, Guys, and I don't mean networking like in that fakey way where you like show up and, you know, schmooze. I mean, like really the people who you know in your community that do what you do that you like, reach out to them. You know, like find a find a group, find a women's caucus or a Surface Design Association has been awesome for me. Like, just find something. Yeah. You're not just on an island alone, figuring it out by yourself. You know, mm-hmm. that that feels important. Like, don't find a fake group. Like, find a group of people that, like, you really like them and their work. Mm-hmm. And they like you and your work. And then it'll feel like something you can do for your whole life. You know, yeah. you won't want to give up on it. Yeah. And they won't live there. I've had, I have a handful of people that are like, all right, put your big girl pants on. Now you had your tantrum. You got rejected for the 14th time this week. You're going to be fine. Go die something. Like I have those people. Thank goodness. Cause you do, you face so much rejection. And there's like a lot of moments I can think back in my career of like people not valuing 
you know, what I do, they're like, maybe like not understanding the time or the labor or the, that goes into something and their sticker shock or their, my daughter could make that. And she's in middle school and you're 40, like things like that, that, that it just happens. It's just part of it. I was telling this was so recent when, well, right before the Gadsden show, I had applied for grants and residencies and and I was just like applying, applying, applying and every single one was a rejection. And it was like, right after I graduated, I was like, oh no. <laughs> and then like, I called my friend. I'm like, okay, I'm just like dragging. Like, why do I feel like I need a, this like outside acceptance to feel like I should be mm. making great work. And like, then you can have those conversations and you get off the phone feeling like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, like going to a festival and like hardly making any sales or it's, yes. you know, yep. There's so many it, things that happen. Picking back up and, and continuing and having someone in your corner who says, you know what? It happens. It happens to all of yeah. us. Yeah. It's going yeah. to be okay. Yeah. And that's not what it's for. It's not necessarily, it wasn't for that person that walked by. That's not yeah. what you make it for. Yeah. Like trying to not have it be a monetized, I have to sell this work kind of thing. Like when the practice is about the practice. And you don't have that constant pressure to sell, 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 sell to make it worth it. That makes it a lot. That helped me a lot because I was in the selling mode for so long. And when I started grad school, one of my professors was like, no, you don't sell any of this work right now. You need to hold on to it for your thesis exhibition. And so to take all the pressure off of like, I can just make, and I don't have to think if it will sell one day, if someone will like it. That's a pretty fantastic feeling too. Like just making because it's a thing I want to make or a technique I want to learn. It's almost like better work came out of me then than when I was like, gosh, I have to sell. Well, Cardinals sell. So I got to make sure every time I go to a show, I have some Cardinals, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's really tough. I think for all artists and I don't know about you, but I've gotten where that can kind of slip up on me sometimes where I'm like, Okay. I'm really not thinking about what I want to do. I'm thinking about how I can make this successful, you know, and like, yeah, it's successful when someone buys it. Right. Is that success? How do I define success? Yeah. Like, is that, is that what that is to me or do I need to take a step back for a minute and just like rethink how like I've gotten into that space where, especially around like doing festivals, like that's a, like you're vi- basically a vendor at an yeah. event. Yeah. And yeah. so it's hard to separate it and not, because I mean, you even have to change your mindset at the event into like a sales mode, you yeah. know, like I need to smile and ask how people are, are you having a good day? And like, you're, mm-hmm. yeah, but then you come off of that and you have to like get out of that mindset of, okay, what can I make that people like? Right, (laughs) right. I used to analyze my sales sheets after the white tent shows and go, okay. I had like a running tally of like, okay, flowers, birds, what food, what like, (laughs) like, I love the way my kids' bikes look in the garage. Like I love all the lines and the curves and how 
they kind of intersect and do these weird things. And you don't think that's what a wheel looks like when it's turned at 45 degree angle. And, and so I was like doing that for fun. And then it got to a point where it was like, well, I don't have any bikes. So I need to paint some more bikes because people like bikes like that. But if that's your, I mean, for me, that's still a way better way to make money than like working in like a food service industry. I wouldn't be thrilled doing that, you know? So it's like, it's still a better day and I'm still more blessed to be able to paint 16 Cardinals than if I couldn't paint at all. And so it's like trying to find that perspective of, I mean, I definitely had pieces that I pulled aside after I did them and I still have them because I was like, I did this for me and I think it's beautiful and it doesn't have to go out into the world and gain value through sale. Like it is valuable because I like it and I did it. Like I have a few pieces in the house like that. And it's like, I just don't want to let go of them. Yeah. So I think it's like, it is, it's such a hard balance. And especially if you're doing those tent shows, you have to be everything. You have to apply, you have to write, you have to market, you have to haul it, you have to set it up. You have to all of a sudden then be like a person not sweating through your clothes who's selling fine art in a park. Like you've been there since before daylight setting up and you're exhausted and you're hungry and thirsty and just like, yeah, so stressed, but then you have to be like, yeah, <laughs> like, and people are like, why do you paint? And you're like, I love this because I, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But you just walk four miles through like downtown Atlanta because there was no parking and the show was starting and you had to get your tent sides unzipped and you're like running in sweating. I feel it. I feel it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think we've talked about some really great things, you know, across the board. And I love your work. I think it's so interesting how it's changed over the years. And you've got some older work that you're going to put out there eventually, yeah, right? Sure. Yep, it's up in, my is on the second floor north at low mill 2053 and yeah and if you're interested in pieces you can i mean i have instagram and a website you can email me the email comes straight to me you know so yeah if there's pieces or like maybe like oh i always wanted one of your birds like okay well i have like four birds right now so like those things you can just reach out to me mm. or at a studio. Like I'll be there on the open studio nights and then I'm going to be posting on my Instagram feed when I'm there. Oh, awesome. And, but you're leaving low mail in January. Yeah. So there, so my lease is up in December. um, So I will be there through December. Oh, nice. So some like last minute Christmas present kind of. Absolutely. Yeah. I have some prints. I have, I have like real, I have like a whole spread of like price points for sure. Back from my white tent days, you know, when I was like creating like prints and magnets, I think I still have some mugs from that work. And then all the way through to some fiber sculpture, I've got some fiber animals. I've got some wall hanging. So, and some of my new stuff too. Yeah. And I also sell Sachi, so you can find my stuff there too. Oh, great. That's awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Glad we finally got to do this. This is long overdue. Yeah. I just, I mean, I felt, man, this is a great conversation. I think there's so many things, there's so many elements to being a creative person and an artist, like being a parent and being, you know, trying to figure out what you want to do and 
you know, that moment where you're like textile sculpture. <laughs> For sure. You're like, why am I so afraid of getting off the wall? That's exactly what I do. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. That is just awesome. I just, I think that just, you know, I hope people listening will like think, maybe I need to let go of the wall, you know, and like, I mean, really, we, we all do that kind of thing. And just, I mean, even if it's just for one piece to try it, I don't think it won't do nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Give it a shot. Why not? Yeah. Experiment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Talk with April. Please subscribe and share. See you next Tuesday. Hope you have a great week.